0: A reading from the Gospel according to Mark, chapter one, verses one through eight. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, see, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. So John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And the whole Judean region and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie the strap of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In the name of God, the Creator, the Christ, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. It is such a great feeling to get off to a great start on the fulfillment of a dream or an idea or a project. We might spend months working on a strategic plan and then implement the plan, develop momentum, celebrate some victories, and then comes that day. There's almost always that day when some challenge has to be faced because it threatens the fulfillment of our dream. It could be that a single part needed for the manufacturing process that we set in place suddenly skyrockets in price and jeopardizes the whole endeavor. Maybe a key team leader has to leave for health reasons. Maybe a massive disruption is caused by the nightmarish intrusion of a global pandemic. The project that we had nurtured for so long slowly, or maybe not so slowly, begins to run out of funds, or maybe funders begin to run out of faith, and then that dream starts to fade, and maybe that dream starts to dissolve as if it is sand passing through our fingers. When I listen to the stories of the 10 people from our congregation who visited the Camino de Santiago in Spain recently on a 100-mile pilgrimage, I thought I heard them talking a little bit about this movement from dream to having to adjust to a change in those dreams. I'm sure when they set off, there was so much excitement about walking this historic pilgrimage trail and who they would meet, what they would discover about themselves or God. But on the trail, there was a lot of rain and a lot of rocky terrain and it was hard. And I am sure that some of those dreams that had been nurtured in front of the internet looking at beautiful photographs of the Camino suddenly didn't seem quite so dreamy after all. And maybe there too, those, those wonderful visions of walking on the Camino began to feel like sand passing through their fingers. And they had to rediscover and reframe that journey in order to give it meaning. Something like this kind of transformation on a very small scale happened to me when I was a freshman in college. Now, when I was a senior in high school, living in Bennington, Vermont, I had to make a decision about where I was going to go to college, and I chose three locations. Miami, Florida, New Orleans, Louisiana, and Houston, Texas. You probably see a pattern there. I was headed south. I had had enough of New England winters. and. On top of this, I had family members living outside of Houston, Texas, and I thought it's going to be warm, and I'll be near them, and it'll be just one wonderful adventure after another. Not so. My relatives decided to move elsewhere before I even got to Houston, and then, although I loved my experience at Rice University, I did not love my experience in Houston, Texas. And I like hot weather, but maybe not that much hot weather my dream started to change and to fade and to dissolve. And lo and behold, I decided that maybe wintry weather in New England or upstate New York wasn't such a bad thing after all. And I returned to go to college in upstate New York because I had to reframe my dream. John the Baptist also had this experience of changing dreams in a much more dramatic way. He doesn't get much ink in the Bible, but he played a significant role in the development of Jesus' ministry. And he is remembered for having had his own come to Jesus moment when he had to decide who he was and what he was going to do and believe in the face of a dream that was dissolving right in front of his eyes. John was right there from the beginning with Jesus. The story that we read from the Gospel, according to Mark, shows clearly that John was a massive influence in the way that Jesus entered his world and inaugurated his ministry. John introduced Jesus to the world. He baptized him. He understood that his own importance as a religious leader, and John was a religious leader in his own right, had to take second place behind the leadership of Jesus. It was a powerful beginning for the Jesus movement. And that movement then grew thanks to the preaching and teaching and healing of Jesus. It was all working out until it wasn't. Because John's life and career took a different path. More outspoken than Jesus, at least initially. More abrasive personality-wise than Jesus, at least initially. More political than Jesus, at least initially, he openly criticized the ruling governor of the region for his immoral behavior in terms of how he was constructing his internal family life. In other words, he was critical of the royal family values. Well, not surprisingly, that outburst landed John in jail. And prospects for his release, I would say, were slim and none. He had entered at this point in his life into an experience of radical containment and confinement. And I try to imagine what that might, must have felt like for a man who was formed in the desert, who launched the ministry of Jesus in the wilderness, whose only religious sanctuary may have been the open vault of the heavens. A man who is used to hearing the night sounds out there in the wild, now confined and contained. The human experience of containment or confinement can take many forms. It can happen in the experience of depression. We may feel contained or confined by an anger that we cannot release or by an an experience of very deep and profound grief from which we do not seem to be able to find a way to become unburdened. So this prominent leader, John the Baptizer, who had at one time told people to prepare for the coming of the Messiah, now found himself preparing to die. This was John's moment when he must have felt like his dream was dissolving. The sand slipping through his fingers, one grain at a time. He seems to have experienced a time of deep doubt where he wondered openly whether he might have backed the wrong person. He'd always thought Jesus was the one. But was he? Sitting in prison? Too much time to think? John wondered. John doubted. So from that situation of confinement, he sent out a message maybe with the help of a kindly prison guard, sent a message directly to Jesus because he had to know from the source, are you the one or should we wait for another? And of course, at this time, John is thinking if there has to be any waiting for another, it's not likely going to involve him because he's not likely to ever be released from prison to see that other person. Now, John could have responded, and Jesus could have responded to John's question in several ways. He could have sent a message back to John that was accusing. How dare you doubt? You have little faith. Sounds harsh. But Jesus spoke like that from time to time. Or Jesus could have said, of course I'm the one. I'm the light of the world. Sounds a little inflated, but Jesus spoke like that from time to time. But instead, this is the message he sent. This is the message that somebody smuggled into the prison so that John could hear it with his own ears. Go and tell John what you hear and see, said the message from Jesus. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them, and blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. I've often thought that those words are the best one sentence summary of Jesus' work and love and ministry in the entire New Testament. If we only had one verse from the New Testament, I would hope it would be that one. And when churches wring their hands, as churches are doing these days, about not knowing what to do in this uncertain world as our status slips away from us, why not return to the power of those words which were first spoken as a message of hope sent to a lonely man in prison who was waiting for some good news? Now, we don't actually know how or whether those words of Jesus ever made it past the guards and into John's prison cell. But I'd like to imagine that someone successfully smuggled that one sentence, that one sentence message into prison and whispered the words to John as he listened with every fiber of his being. Maybe he was in pitch black darkness and he heard someone coming down the hallway and he listened and maybe in that moment, as he heard the message delivered to him with chock full of good news, a smile would have formed on John's face, formed by the confidence that, by God, he'd been on the right track all along, that he hadn't gotten it wrong. And though he knew in his bones that he wasn't ever going to make it out of jail, which he didn't, even in his confinement and containment He was a free man. Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The dead are raised. The poor have good news preached to them. Some of the most remarkable good news expressed through the entire library of books that we call the Bible. In Jesus, and in Jesus' ministry and life, Love was always being made visible. And I think that's what he was trying to say to his cousin, John the Baptist, because he was his cousin as well, that his whole mission was to give visibility to love, to elevate compassion, to give kindness, prominence of attention. And Christmas happens Whenever love is born into the world, through the words and the actions and the resources that human beings have at our disposal. It's not a one-day holiday. It's not even a one-time-of-the-year season. Christmas is always happening wherever love is happening. When hungry people are fed, as they are through the program Breakfast Run, of which we are participants, when people are being visited in prison who have no one else to visit them, and a few people from Round Hill Community Church are slowly exploring the possibility of engaging that ministry. When we reach out to the world with a message of hope and peace when there is so much violence, that's good news. It's a way of giving kindness and compassion and peace prominent attention. It's the power of love that gives us the power to dream and plan and inspire and respond to human need. You can see that power at work in the life of Mary, the mother of Jesus, a young woman who had nothing by way of material resources, no standing at all in the context of the Roman Empire's domination of the country in which she lived, But she was nevertheless of a poet, nevertheless a poet of a new day. My soul magnifies the Lord, she said. And that's a question for us. What are we magnifying in our lives? Do we magnify the faults of others or the bad news that we hear about the world or our skepticism of the future or do we magnify our hope? Do we magnify our dreams and what we intend to do to make sure that Generations, seven generations down the road will have reason to hope because of the actions we're taking now. And love is also the power to revive our spirits when our dreams dissolve and run through our fingers like so much sand as John the Baptist could attest. At such times, it is always in our power to discover that God is not only with us, but for us. That's grace the guidance of wisdom, the ideas that come out of nowhere, those little inklings about, maybe we should choose this path instead of that path. I think those are all indications of the movement of a spirit that's holy in the depths of our lives. And we come to be part of a worshiping community so we can learn more about how that spirit works. We can see that power at work in the life of Joseph who became the adoptive father of Jesus, who had to let go of a life that he imagined for himself in order to take up a more compassionate way of life, in order to protect Jesus and Mary from the violent powers and intentions of the Roman Empire. Maybe some of the dreams that he had for his life passed through his fingers as sand passes through ours. But those same hands also protected his little family so that his son, Jesus of Nazareth, could grow up and become a vibrant and visible expression of the love of God. And here we are, 2,000 years later, still exploring what Jesus means, still trying to understand how we can be the hands and the heart of Jesus in our own world. What I'm trying to remember these days that in those moments when we at Round Hill Community Church form great dreams about what we want to happen in the next year or five years, God is part of that dreaming. What I'm also trying to remember is that when those dreams come into contact with major challenges, when our spirits need to be revived, that God is with us there too, just as God was reaching out to John in prison through the message of Jesus. I have come that you might have life, said Jesus, so that we can make life possible for other people and this beautiful creation upon which we live and move and have our being. Amen.